Hi, I'm Joanne Murphy. Welcome to Try Talking Sport, the podium podcast for athletes, adventurers and endurance enthusiasts. Welcome to episode 8 of Try Talking Sport with professional triathlete Nikki Bartlett. This episode was recorded on the Friday evening before Ironman 70.3 Dunleary in advance of Nikki racing at the event and going on to win it, making it her 15th time on the podium and her first Ironman 70.3 win as a professional athlete. Nikki has taken a diverse road to triathlon, leaving her life as a rower behind due to injury. She has been racing professionally as a triathlete for four years and in that time she had been on the second and third step of a podium 13 times before she finally took to the top step at Ironman Lanzarote, taking her first professional win in May of this year. Nikki is also part of the British paratriathlon team as a guide hoping to make it to Tokyo 2020. The episode gives us some great insight into Nikki's life, the highs, the lows, the pressure to perform, and the consistency, confidence and determination it takes to make it to the top step of the podium as a professional female athlete. There was lots of laughter recording this episode with Nikki, who spoke so openly and honestly about her passion for sport and her journey in triathlon. If you haven't tried triathlon yet, then I think you may be inspired to do so when you hear Nikki's story. Nikki, welcome to the show. Delighted you can join us as you head into the final preparation for your Ironman 70.3 Dunleary this Sunday. Now, for our listeners, tell us a little bit about how you got into triathlon and your general sporting background. I believe I met you first at the Ironman 70.3 Wimble Ball back in 2014 when you raced as an age grouper and finished as second overall to Emer Mullen. A lot has happened since then. Yeah, thanks for having me on, firstly. Uh, Yeah, a lot has happened since then. Probably had a different path to most pros, I guess, getting into triathlon. I guess out of all my school in life, I used to do all the sports, like hockey, netball, athletics, rounders, but I was like never amazing at anything, so one of those. So then an opportunity came up when I went to university to start um, learning to row. So I did that and it progressed really nicely and I ended up, um, representing my country and getting and going on for the Girls for Gold initiative in 2008 and going into the World Class Start Development Programme. Um, so I was on that for a couple of years and I kept getting these rib stress fractures and yeah, I just kept getting injured off the back of it. And I came up with one of my friends, I was speaking to her, she's like, oh, I'm off to do this half Ironman this weekend. I was like, oh, what is that? And she told me exactly what it was and I was like, you're bonkers. Anyway, so she, she did the race and she did really well. And um, and then a couple of months later, she was like, I'm off to do another one. And I was like, okay, well, I'm still, I don't have any goals here because I'm still injured. Like I need, I need goals in my life. So she's like, well, why don't you come do it? And I was like, well, little problem is I don't have a bike. I can't swim at all. And I haven't run for years. Um, and when I used to run, it used to be like 400s and 800s. So very short stuff, like where you're doing like a 120 meter sprint with like eight minutes of recovery. It's completely different to what I do now. So I was like, oh, no, I don't think I can. She goes, no, look, literally like, here's a bike you can buy from eBay. Um, I'll get you a wetsuit and you just need a pair of trainers. And I was like, oh, I've got one. And it was really close to my parents' house. So I thought, yeah, that's a brilliant opportunity to go and try this out. Anyway, so we went and um, I clearly was clueless on what I was doing because I got a phone call the night before the race and she was like, have you racked your bike? And I was like, racked my bike? No, it's tomorrow. And she's like, yeah, the bikes are meant to be racked. And I was like, oh my God. So I kind of, me and my dad just like driving quickly over to the race venue to rack the bike the night before. But they didn't have bags then or anything. So so it wasn't one of those faffy bits as well. So we had a box on race morning. And I can remember when we were setting up our bikes in the morning, she was like, oh, where's your bottle cage? And I was like, oh, uh, no, don't have one. <laughs> She's like, what distance was this? Was this the half hour? Half <laughs> And I was like, bottle cage? No, I don't have a bottle cage. She goes, well, what are you can drink and eat? And I was like, I don't know. I haven't got anything. Because <laughs> when I was racking my, when I was setting my bike up in the morning, I think I was literally like just putting my helmet in my box. Like I wasn't really thinking too far from that. Um, so yeah, and then I ended up, and then I can remember we, I did, I was like, oh my God, like I hate swimming. Like, I don't know if I can even get around the swim. So she's like, don't worry, we're getting last. Anyway, so we got in last, jumped in. I was like, God, there's a lot of people around here. I was like, where are you? She goes, I think we're at the front. And then the gun went and I was like, oh my God. And literally got stampled on by everyone. <laughs> and then like, I was like, it was at that point where I was like, I wasn't confident to put my head in the water. So I didn't put my head in the water. And not putting your head in the water for that distance is so tiring. <laughs> and I was like, just stopping for a bit, having a breather and then going again. 
And I finally got out and literally I was like, literally, I think I was the last person out. And I couldn't see my parents and my family. I was like, where are they gone? But they'd already like started walking up because it was in the quarry. So I started walking up the ramp because they were like, oh, she must be out. I must have missed her. And I ran past them. I was like, what are you doing? Like, oh my God, hurry up. <laughs> but they weren't because they were a bit like, I don't even know what she's doing anyway. <laughs> like, what is this triathlon like? It's like I'd come out of rowing as well. And they were like, and they didn't know if I was going to quit rowing at this point because I was very much like in between injury and not knowing what I was going to do. So you finished the swim. Yes, I finished the swim. Went down to the bike with no nutrition. Yeah, and I had uh, trainers as well on cleats. <laughs> so no cleats, just runners? Yeah, just runners. Okay. <laughs> and then you did the half marathon? Yeah, then I did the half marathon. And this was back in 2000 and... Like 10. 2010? Like, yeah. Wow. <laughs> probably haven't told you that story yet. No, you've never told me that story. <laughs> it's probably one I should probably keep to myself sometimes. Because <laughs> I can no. remember I got to the run and I was like, I am so hungry as well, like really so thirsty. So did you not eat at all? No. <laughs> and I can remember my mum told me this the other day because I was like, we were going through this as a memory because my dad has a scrapbook. So basically my dad's every single memorabilia of my starting triathlon, he's got everything in the scrapbook. And um, we had friends around, they were looking at the scrapbook and they are like, so when was this? And I was like, and it was just bringing back memories. And I was like, do you know, you, you went out the house and all you had was a piece of flapjack for breakfast. <laughs> and can I ask how long did it take you to do that race? I, oh, can you remember it? In the scrapbook. Over five hours, but I couldn't remember getting off the bike. But I'd overtaken quite a lot of people. Um, just, I think, naturally rowing to cycling is quite a good transition. Um, but I was so unaware. My parents didn't know where I was in the race either. And I can remember I saw my friend on that back set. She goes, you're third. And I was like, what the hell? <laughs> and I can remember it was, it was loops. And then um, I went past my parents on a loop. And I was like, I think I'm near the front. And they're like, I think you are, actually. And then I won. <laughs> <laughs> You've never told me this story. No, so you won this race. And can I ask, where did your friend come that was racing with you? Do you know what? I don't know. She did really well, though. She, oh, did, did she? she didn't go on the podium, but she did really well. Okay. Um, because then I won as part of the prize, I won like a bike fit. And I was like, oh, amazing. And that's when I got a TT bike after that. So I was like, And wow. a pair of cleats. And a pair of cleats. <laughs> okay, well, that was a story I wasn't expecting to hear when I asked you to tell me about your journey in triathlon and a background. But hey, Nikki, it's good. <laughs> so that's my first one. Okay, that was your first one. And you won your first ever triathlon. Yeah, that it was, was just a pretty race, cool. Yeah. Now, you wouldn't advise anybody who's racing their first triathlon <laughs> to go out and do what you did, especially over a half Ironman or an Ironman distance. I know, yeah. You're like, a lot more sensible now. I am. I have my nutrition plan to the tea and you know that you rack your bike the day before a race and I'm racking my bike tomorrow for a race on Sunday yeah and you eat a little bit more than just a flap back, flapjack running out the door yeah <laughs> Nikki so you you won that race you were still rowing so yeah. how did you end up then switching across from the rowing to triathlon well we, time? we made this pact after that race with my friend she was like by the time we're 25 because I was about oh god maybe 21 22 when I did that um she was like well by the time we're 25 we're gonna do an Ironman that's like brilliant anyway so I went back row and I kept picking these injuries again she's like I've decided I'm doing mine next year and I was like oh my god why which one she's like I'm on Bolton and I was like wow and I was like oh Oof. and then one of my friends who I live opposite um, their mum got um, terminal cancer and I thought do you know what I'm going to do it as well and raise money for charity but I was still rowing then as well so that's why when I finished the race I didn't have a clue about Kona when they said you won a slot to Kona and I was like don't even know what that is and I can remember when someone told me what the entry fee is I was like well I'm obviously not taking that slot <laughs> um so yeah I did Bolton for charity and then went and then after that I was like do you know what I've done well at these two triathlons which I haven't trained for um so, so then my rowing coach sat me down she's like you have been injured now for two years I'm going into Olympic year which that was my target to get into the boat um for for 2012 okay um in this because I was like wait um, so I was doing double skull then. So um, so it kind of came to a crunch point that I'd have another four-year cycle in rowing or do I take up this new sport which allows me flexibility, which I'm not getting injured from. Um, so yeah, I, I transitioned then properly into an age grouper. And then, so then we move forward to 2014. You came second yeah. overall in Wimbledon. You beat yeah. some of the pro field there as well. You actually had a phenomenal yeah. race, from what I recall. Yeah. Uh, on on the day, it was very very exciting. Um, yeah, you were brilliant. you were chasing down that yeah. second podium place. I think I came off the fourth or fifth off the bike. Yeah. And we had a lot of the family there, and the course. I, I literally wish that course was back. It was amazing. And the run course, like your your family and supporters could get everywhere because it was like I think three or four laps, but you could get from like literally one point 
yeah, so like, to the next across the field. Yeah, yeah across it was the field. very, very contained. Yeah. In so there, I knew a nightmare exactly. for logistics in general. I can but imagine it no was, uh, Wi-Fi or anything. No Wi-Fi, no getting <laughs> no in or out yeah. of the place and all that. But but that was a phenomenal race. And that really, I, I mean, I, I read an article recently and then I actually looked back at our video of the interview that I did yeah. with you back then. And John Levison from Try247 says, this girl is one to watch for the future. <laughs> and fast forward to 2019 and you've had... me But you've had an incredible... <laughs> yeah careers so yeah, far I know you say and Bex uh, <laughs>, laughs that it's taken you so long to get to this point of a, yeah. of a, of a win in Lanzarote but it's been a fantastic uh, season and a yeah. couple of seasons for you yeah do you know it's not something I've changed I could never want to fast track to the top or or get any shortcuts there it's been an amazing journey just to see where I've come from um, I guess a lot of people listen to this sometimes they think Pro athletes have always been a professional athlete or they could always have swam, bike and ran to a very good ability. But like literally, that's how I met Bex is when she started to swim and coach me. Like I literally couldn't swim properly. Like I could survive, like push me in the water, I can get to the side. Um, I go swimming in the big Lido, I can play around, whatever, but and not the actual general logistics of swimming properly. <laughs> so considering your first chance when you swam with your head out of the water yeah. for the 1900 metres yeah. to the point where you swam so fast that you actually were able to win a race outright, Yeah. you know, and do so well in Bolton. And then, you know, in 2014, you're second yeah. overall. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. The, the swimming has, has come yeah, it's, on, it's, your biking, oh, your running, everything has all come on I mean, so it's well. not like, you look at like ITU swimmers, I'm never going to be that ability. I mean, I can always strive to be that good, but um realistically like i'm just chipping away slowly and steadily like from when i used to um what we talked about the other day on the live live uh, feed on facebook like i was my first ever swim session was six 100s not as a set not as like a go hard just getting through six 100s was coming in after three minutes and going off five minutes and it's just like looking at that now it's just like oh my god and and when we were doing that i was like I had in my head and I told Bex then I was like yeah I want to be a professional athlete but like because she's she's come from an ITU background as a coach uh, coach the power squad the British power squad and I was just like this girl's having a laugh if she thinks she's gonna do that and then I went on a train an age group training cramp straight after that and then I can remember our first session was a 3k swim and I was like okay 3k swim and he was like in the sea and I was like oh my god and like I don't think I can even swim 3k <laughs> And I can remember they all went, had had breakfast, and I was still swimming. Like, I just kept getting washed to the shore, like, and then I'd have to swim back out to be able to swim again, then I'd get washed to the shore, and it took me forever. But I, I think what it shows is that, like, you've you've been consistent with your training, you've been yeah. consistent with everything, and, and you're also obviously very driven and very motivated yeah. to continue to just hammer on the door to get your yeah. swim up to a level whereby you're totally confident going into the water as a professional to be able to race at the highest level which is yeah. what you're doing you're going to Kona this year you've won one of the hardest yeah. races <laughs> in the right. world yeah yeah no. and then like waking up each day and trying to be slightly better than the day before and just kind of chipping away at those goals something that really motivates me and gets me out of bed in the morning um, and it's 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 just being consistent with your training and, and not losing sight of where you want to go I mean you have sessions and they're terrible you have some weeks and the whole week's like, oh my God, that was a terrible week. Or sometimes it's just average. You're just hitting everything you need to hit and nothing's a miracle kind of session. It's not about those massive days. It's just about like kind of ticking off consistently um, and just literally seeing as much green in training peaks as possible. And I suppose for, for most people that are listening, they're going to be age groupers are athletes listening to this who are thinking oh my god she's living the dream life yeah, and yeah. <laughs> I, I just want to qualify for world championships or I just want to do my very first triathlon but really consistency is the key oh, word yeah. to use and if you do miss the sessions don't fret over them oh just, yeah massively you and know, especially for like age groupers because like a lot of people are like well how many hours do you train a week and I literally and some people are like how many times how many hours do you cycle a week or whatever I'd have to actually go on my training peaks look I, I generally don't know and it's and it's not comparing to pros or anyone else. It's actually looking at your lifestyle and be like, how how many hours do I have to train realistically around this? Like, you've got work, you've got kids, you've got family. I don't I don't have any of that. Um, I've got a dog who's very lazy and actually makes me go to sleep in a the day. A human dog. A human dog who makes me go to sleep in the day. Um, so I don't have those commitments. So actually, you've got to look at your lifestyle and be like, okay, what do I have? Do I have say six to eight hours a week? That's all I can do. Okay, well that's brilliant because actually you can 
definitely do a lot in that time and it's what you do in that time that matters and it's about doing those six to eight hours a week and doing them well and doing them well and uh being guided correctly on how you do those sessions um and making that each of those count um it's not actually just smashing those sessions because that's what you think all that is all the time you've got that is a lot of time still to be training on it's about doing quality in those sessions and kind of having a goal consistently having goals like say you've got a race in the summer but it's winter it's actually having goals between that time as well and um just making sure that if say you can get to pause say twice a week just make sure you go every week twice a week don't go once a week no times a week two times a week zero 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 one two kind of just making sure it's all consistent that's the biggest advice for age groupers i'd have and don't look at what anyone else is doing because usually social media can be a pile of rubbish with just the glory days everyone posts up and kind of oh i'm always smashing this this this, and this out but you never know what goes on behind closed doors that's for sure and when you look at your history in a professional capacity, you've yeah. had 14 podiums yeah. since 2016. Yeah. What would you say was your breakthrough year or your breakthrough podium performance that put you on the trajectory to get that top spot in Lanzarote this year? I'm probably going to say this year. Like Last year, I had some good results at the beginning of the year, like Lanzarote and Staffs, so they're two good races for me. But after that, I got I picked up an injury after Staffs, which I should have just sorted out straight away, and I didn't. And I had a lot of average results after that, which people looking and be like, well, you came third at Wales still, and then second at Weymouth. But, but I you was, weren't happy. I wasn't happy. I wasn't fit. Um, I was swim, bike fit, but I wasn't run fit at all. So when I, whenever I got off the bike, I knew I can't deliver what I should be able to deliver here. Um... So, yeah, and then so I knew coming into this year I was in a really good shape because my winter training, just because I had um, ended up having various MRIs, injections and stuff on my foot to, to cure it, and then I had like three-month progression to get back into running again. So I wasn't running properly for about six months, and then three months of the rehab was really progressive, so February was when I started training again properly. Um... And from February, I just had such a smooth journey towards Lanzarote. So you had staffs this year? I was meant to do staffs this year, but, but I didn't. But you didn't do no. it. Yeah, I remember that actually. Yeah. I didn't do it do you know, mainly as a precaution. Like, I was ready to race staffs. Like, I was sat like I am now. Like, I'm fit. I'm well. I'm ready. Like, I'm, re- I'm literally at the peak of my fitness. And so it was a really difficult decision to be like, I've got a really busy year coming up. I should probably sensible decision would be not to do this race, um, especially because the next day I was going to Florida on a heat camp. Um, so I was like, the sensible decision is not to do it, and it was really hard to watch the race because I was like, I want to be in that race right now. <laughs> especially when you're at peak form as well. Yeah, peak form. It. I've done stats every year, and mm. it's like home and podiums race. every year. The podiums every race have gone well. Okay, stats was my like one of my first proper professional races, and I came sixth, and then I came third the next year then the second then the second um so I've done it like every year and I love the crowds in Staffordshire um so yeah that was a really hard decision but you know I'll never know if that was the right decision or not um but I'm sat here not injured I haven't been ill or injured all year so <laughs> as we go into races weekend um so I hope it was a sensible decision and then of course we moved to May to Lanzarote yeah talk to me about your prep for Lanzarote it is one of the toughest uh races in the circuit across the world not just in Europe what was so different about this year by comparison to previous years well I was going into it and I was like I am fit like I just know I was I knew I was fit from training and um and then we decided okay we're gonna have a slightly earlier taper and to make us do that we're gonna put a race in two weeks before so I did I'm on pace to act 70.3 um so I was going into it a bit tired because I only had three days taper, but I knew I was in good form. I had probably one of my best swims and it was really choppy and f- absolutely freezing in there, which just doesn't suit. Usually cold conditions, I'm rubbish in the, in the swim. So I had a really good swim, came out, had a really solid bike and then ran my best ever run I've ever done on quite tired legs. Um, so after that, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm ready. Like, I just need to get this taper absolutely nailed now because I can't really gain any fitness, but I can gain more confidence from just backing off and delivering sessions fully. Um, so I went into Lanzarote and I was like, okay, just, I was just literally like watching what I did because I was like, don't trip over, like, <laughs> like everything back. So like, 
okay, don't run here, don't run here. <laughs> or like, just stay on your feet, because I am so clumsy, like, and it's so standard, every taper, I just, I'll stack it, like, I'll always fall over. Like, it's a running joke that taper week is a nightmare. <laughs> and then it was like, I hadn't been ill for like, like, six, seven months. I was like, don't pick up any illnesses. So it's just about taking care of the body going into it. And then when we got arrived, all the locals were like, oh my God, it's like the worst wind we've seen on the island for so long. And a lot of people were taking the decision not to even ride outside. And I was like, oh my God, like, so I did a few rides outside and like, Bex would follow me in the car. A lot of the times I just got in because I was like, it's so unsafe. But race day happened to be a really windy day. And I was like, but the longer we're on the bike, it suits me better because that is my strength, it's the bike. So I was almost like, okay, I hate, I don't like how unsafe these, because they literally are, if you take your mind off the race a bit, you'll be in love rock. Like, it was ridiculous. So I was like, just, this is just planning out to be perfect conditions for me on race day. Um, I came out the swim, because my plan was to swim pretty easy, um, so I didn't come out too tired. So I just got out, had a good start out of that mass start. Like, if no one knows what I'm on Lance Rightman, mass start is go on YouTube because it is mad. It's like literally one gun, 2,000 people go. And the first boy's like 100, I think 180 metres away. And he was like, it is carnage. So I got around the first boy and I was like, okay, I haven't been punched too many times. Like, this is going okay. So I just got into like a pack and just was really easy on the back of the pack. I came out, saw 29 minutes halfway and I was like, brilliant. Like, this is just where I need to be. Just and it was actually better sitting at the back of the pack than in it because you just got battered. So I came out and I felt really fresh and ready to go for the bike and I kind of moved up the field pretty quickly. I think by 80k I'd got to the front and we kind of thought I'd be getting to the front towards the back end of the bike. And um, so it was quite funny because like Bex and my family always go out to certain points of the course and time in my splits and like what it is to the front. And then I got to the front and they're like, we don't know what to say to we you. We don't know what to say to you now. Because sometimes like it's, if I made it, make it to the front, it's with like 5k to go. So it's like, okay, just push harder to get as much time. But then it's like, well, actually, um, it's before halfway. I don't want to pop. So I need to be controlled. But also, what do we tell her? <laughs> How did it feel leading the race? I was like, wow, look at all these motorbikes around. But they were like absolutely amazing. Because uh, one thing I go to call, because bikes my strength. A lot of courses sometimes have a bit of motorbike drafting. So I have to choose courses really carefully. And these motorbikes, absolutely amazing. Like, they just stayed behind. But the adrenaline rush you get from, like, four motos behind you is just incredible. So I was, like, absolutely buzzing. And I was, like, I literally couldn't contain, like, my smile and my enthusiasm for the race. And I like, got to the top of Mirador. And I saw Darren Wheeler, as a photographer, and get on well with Darren. And he was taking photos. And I was, like, look at these views. Look at... And then, like, when I look back on the race, everyone else is, like, in the aero position, like, hammering it up the hill. And I'm, like, whee! <laughs> proper chopper going up but it just made me buzzy for more like I appreciated um yeah just appreciated the race so much more and then I got off the bike and I think I had what did I have I had um a 12 minute lead um coming off the bike but um being open and honest uh, I was on a really bad day of the time of the month and I spent a lot like everyone's like oh it's because she got changed it took her so long but honestly when I get changed so quick but I was in the toilet for ages because I was like having quite a serious pain in my stomach and then had to change so I lost four minutes of those in transition but it looks like but no one really looked at that they looked at oh Nikki's lost four minutes in the first 10k of, of the, the run, run. so everyone you. was like oh Nikki's dying I was like no I'm, I'm like well within myself here like I feel good and um, but it looks like um that I was just like I'd slowing up slowing up and I'd gone too hard on the bike or whatever but actually my watts on the bike was still about 25 watts off what I could have done um, so as well within myself on the bike it was like in fact it was below what our minimum target was as well um, so yeah I felt really good um, and I was just like right whenever Maya because Maya was the one behind kind of what looked like she'd be chasing me and probably maybe the favourite to be winning um, I was like if she puts a push in I'm just going to put a push in and, and that's just how I raced the whole marathon. I was like, just keep under control. Don't try and go out for anything glory because it's my one opportunity now to actually get this win under my belt. Because it's got, it got to the point where I was like, come on, Nikki, we're backing you for the win. It was like every race was like, we're backing you for the win. Come on. And I'm like, finally, I got it. And then just honestly, I literally was like, didn't know what to do down that finished stretch. I was like, how do I soak this in for as much time as possible? But I also need to get over that line just to make sure it's secure and I don't like pass out or something before it because like you actually hear horror stories of people because I was like I had 5k to go and I had really good coverage for me on race day and I can remember my brother saying god like you just kept walking aid stations and like chucking water on yourself and I was like 
Craig, honestly, I've heard so many horror stories of 5K, 2K, even like 1K to go, people like just literally falling apart. So I was like, anything can happen in those last 5K, so you can't take... I can remember going up and there was a guy called James who I know, and he was... I was literally must have been 500 metres from the line. And we were just talking, he was like, God, you look, you look, you look fine. I was like, I'm, I still don't know where I'm going to win. And he was like, you're five and a half minutes and you're 500 metres away from the line. But like, because you're just so disorientated by this Ironman lull and just fatigue and everything. And it was hot on the run. And I was like, he was like, Nikki, start soaking it up. And I was like, I literally couldn't until I hit that carpet. And I was like, oh my God, what do I do? What do I do? <laughs> and then because I didn't do everything I wanted to do, I went down the line, hugged a few people, saw Passion Fit girls, so I hugged them, hugged Bex and her parents, waved everyone, then went across the line, and I was like, I need to go back out. So I went back out, and I think I was back out for ages, but I was getting drug tested as well, she's like, you need to come with me, and I was like, I, I know you're allowed to wait, so then you wait, and I had to do a live interview as well. Um, so yeah, I was just soaking it up as much as possible, but it was like, I don't even, like, I literally watch videos back all the time to try and relive it, because... You just don't know when that opportunity's going to come around again. Did you think going into the race that you would win it? I knew I could if I put everything together perfectly and it would take kind of my perfect perfect race to win it. Um, I didn't feel too, like, because I obviously wanted to qualify for Conan. I knew this is my only Ironman I was doing to try and qualify. And as the days led, came towards the race, I was like, God, this is actually a big deal. This is my only chance to qualify. Um, but I tried not to think about that and just cut it out because with the new point system, it was only one spot for males and females, so the winner got the spot. Um, and I knew all the other girls hadn't qualified yet for Kona, which was quite rare, because like quite a lot of the races, once you're kind of getting into May time, quite some people of the field have qualified already, so it would roll down. So I was like, I literally need to win this race. And I was like, well, I need to pull this win out of the bag Sunday. So <laughs> I, I, I was quietly confident that if I put everything together, I could have a really good day. Whether that would get the win, I don't know, but... Um, I was ready to, to give it everything and fight Did you feel win. under pressure to get the win? You know, I, I started to actually because like I had a, a pace actor two weeks before I had such a good race um, but people there were like oh back in your phone and I was like oh no I'm re- like really fatigued like <laughs> at the moment but like the performance I did I was like do you know what now I'm starting to believe I'm actually like all my splits were really good like my bike's really good and then I came off and did a, a low 121 it was 350 metres short, so it'd be about at least a 122. And I was like, I'm actually getting to the point where all of my disciplines are strong now, not having too much of a weakness. Um, the swim is still my weakness, um, but it's kind of edging closer very progressively. Um, God, what was the question again? <laughs> it's gone off on one. Feeling the pressure. <laughs> oh, yeah, feeling the pressure. And then, like, a lot of uh, like, more comments I was getting, like, on, say, especially Facebook, so that's where I kind of deliver most of my social media. Um, we're like, come on, we're back in foot. And like, the more I was reading, the more I was like, God, yeah, like this win. And uh, and that is when I, I was like, how many podiums have I had now? And that's when I actually went on counting. I was like, oh my God, this is my, f- this is, well, before Lance Ross was my third. I was like, 13 podiums. I haven't won yet. I'm like, okay, like, and I, and like, it was like, every, and I can remember uh, Hugh put the, something like, oh, here's a picture of Nikki when we thought she might be winning at Weymouth for the elusive win. I was like, God, it is becoming this elusive win now. And it was like, that was in the back of my mind and I was like nah the wind's just coming for the right moment I know it I know it and it, it was just like literally my perfect day and talk to me so about your training now for Kona because yeah. you are racing on Sunday so we're recording yeah. this uh, podcast before Sunday it's yeah. Friday evening here mm-hmm. you are we're out in the bike course today yeah. uh, you did a little run yeah. do a little swim tomorrow but you're in the middle of prep for Kona yeah. right now yeah yeah I mean it's what eight is it seven or eight weeks this weekend? I think it's eight weeks this weekend. I know I know it's 50 days today because I saw a tweet. And I was like, God, that's going to come around quickly, especially when you count like a two-week taper. So yeah, I'm in a, a really heavy block of training. Like last weekend, delivered a really good weekend of Kona-specific training. Um, so I'm pretty tired, but at the same time, I'm, I'm really raring to race because I actually haven't raced individually since Lanzarote. And I've had a lot of people contact say, are you ill? Are you injured? But I I, I'm literally been like in, in tip top form. Um, it was more my guiding commitment stopped me from racing individually. Um, and then I decided to have a mid season break as well because um, we moved house pretty re- straight away when we got back from Montreal. Um, we moved house and I was like, to be able to deliver what I want to deliver in Kona, I need to be really ready to go. So I had a four day little mini break, um, which did me the world of good. Um, so this yeah. isn't your first time 
going to Kona. You were there in 2017. Yeah. You kind of got the last slot at the time yeah. in the older mm. format of qualifying for Kona on a point yeah. system. But you seem to be fired up a bit more yeah. this year, really. Oh, yeah, to definitely. Go I think I just have a bit more, more confident. Yeah, like just starting to, like, confidence to me has been quite a big issue. And I think that's why I struggle sometimes, say, before a race, I'm like, that, that feeling of should I be here as a professional? Um, which some people just don't wouldn't think would cross their mind that that's what you think and I guess the more I'm progressing as a pro athlete the more confidence I'm gaining in myself um, so yeah it's just having a bit more confidence in myself to be able to deliver and I think that's what really happened in Lanzarote is that actually that pace axe race was almost a blessing to do that it was like actually no like I'm actually this is this is going very well um, so yeah I'm a bit more confident and definitely more prepared <laughs> Um, just from heat prep to training, um, just being more savvy as an athlete, more more race savvy, more training savvy. Um, I know my body well. Um, what about your recovery and your nutrition? Yeah. You know, are, have you honed in on those completely now? Yeah. Is yeah. It, is there has has there been a massive change since twenty seventeen to now in terms of what you do now versus what you did back then? Yeah, like I did heat prep for Kona last year, but it was pretty last minute I didn't I wasn't really clued up on why I needed to do it um and I kind of just did it because that's what I needed to do rather than the why and the how um now I know that personally I need more heat prep than just those few days before I flew um and also I'm, I'm I've got a good understanding of the nutrition around the heat preparation and also the nutrition in in heat in training and which we've practiced a lot in Florida and, and through all the heat prep we've been doing. Um, I think I, I started my heat prep before Lanzarote, came out of Lanzarote, heat prepped and did Florida. So I've done quite a lot of heat prep so far this year. Um, and then you come to Ireland and we're going to have then, uh, <laughs> 20 degrees and be like a mini heat wave. I know, I did, I did a heat prep session this week and I was like, this is so not for this weekend. <laughs> I'm like, I need to get cold adapted. <laughs> <laughs> not really no not no. Really. It's yeah, it's looking, no it's looking like a really good day it looks perfect conditions the wind's low and the sun's going to be out fingers yeah. crossed fingers crossed doesn't change in the next two days so yeah it's looking good so let's talk about the race day just for a little minute yeah. uh, in terms of I suppose your equipment really because yeah. I know you have two new bicycles <laughs> yeah. for Kona yeah I do you're racing one of them on Sunday <laughs> I am and it it was a bit of a job getting them set up right but when I went on it I was like my old my bike now I love it to bits because it's you know like everyone loves their like first proper time trial bike or bike but it is six years old and then I guess the last couple of months a lot of things have started to go wrong with it and we're like this is a sign I need I need some new bikes here <laughs> um and kindly Savella have sort as of kind of sorted me out there so that's been a great addition um to the team and and just being able to ride that bike in the last couple of days one of the bikes which we managed to get set up I was like this is so different like you can feel the difference my bike is very tired now <laughs> so I was like I'm just gonna go for it and racing it so I've been out on it uh three times now so normally <laughs> the advice would be to somebody before a race don't try don't anything try. new <laughs> don't listen to but price. I suppose when you think about it when you were back uh, all those years when you did your very first race everything was new on yeah, race day exactly. so you know, it's not a big deal that you've only ridden your bike three times. Yeah, and it's a pretty much a like for like my old bike. Like my old bike is a P5. My new bike is a P5. It's just six years newer and just a ceramic tab rather than DI2. But <laughs> he was saying that new new gearing system can't be learnt quickly. <laughs> well, I have to learn it quickly on this course. Like, well, I think today I just was up and down, up and down the gears anyway. So I've got got used to it very quickly. So then for the bike course, because I do know you like yeah. to race some of the harder races. Yeah, so love, Lanzarote, yeah. Wales, yeah. you know, the full distance ones, definitely you're hitting yeah. for the, the harder courses. So the bike course here in Dunleary is... Um, right up my street. It's what? <laughs> right up my street. <laughs> it's right up your street in that it's a difficult, it's a technical Yeah, it's very technical. Course, and there is quite a bit of climbing, but there is a lot of descending as well. In it. Yeah, I, d I didn't realise how technical it would be, I'm not going to lie. Um... I heard last year everyone say this is a course you have to go do and then um, I was a bit unsure what 70.3s I wanted to do around this time and then I saw I'm on Corcon um, and saw the support and I was like do you know that would fit really well to do the 70.3 um, in August so I'll do that one so I came and I was like I was looking at the course profile I was like yeah that's a lot of climbing in the 70.3 and then we went out today and I was like 
literally did the first 90 minutes of the well actually we drove out a bit to get off the, a few of the more main roads um I spent the whole 90 minutes like literally in my little room <laughs> I was like this is going so slow I literally didn't go anywhere and I was like this is gonna mess if people haven't either ridden or seen the course it's gonna mess with some people's heads on race day it's even like because even when you drive you have no concept of the hills like there's some parts where like Bex was like oh this is a flat bit and I was like no I'm still in my little ring this is actually a hill but it doesn't look like it in the car um and then I was like this it's just climbing forever and ever and I could I got in the car and I was like oh we must be near the end of climbing and I was like we're actually not anywhere near the end because <laughs> when we went right up into the is it Wicklow is it Wicklow yeah Wicklow Mountains and I was like wow this is stunning um but on, at, on race day I'm on so I was like hey look at all the views but like literally because these come off these climbs come off um into technical descent so I need to be actually on it and focus on the road on race day but yeah it's going to be a it's going to be a, a long day on the bike compared to most 70.3s which is perfect for me it, it's a, but it's a good honest course oh as it's well. honest course like it's gonna be no drafting um you've got to be mentally tough it's gonna like you literally need all the bike skills like you need to be strong you need to be um kind of yeah got your head game right in there you've got to be technical on those descents you've got to be aggressive but not too aggressive otherwise you're probably going to fly off around a corner um and just stay in your own bubble because I think a lot of people will do different things that you probably don't want to do on race day. So you've just got to stay within your own race plan. So speaking of a race plan, obviously yeah. you'll be working off watts on race day. But yeah. I imagine that you'll be pushing out some serious watts going hills, uphill yeah. and then coming downhill. It'll all yeah. normalise quite weirdly. Yeah, it will definitely normalise differently to, to most of the races. Like I do usually go for the toughest 70.3s, but this is by far the toughest course I've seen. Um, probably but probably the prettiest too by far the prettiest 70.3 I've seen 100% like you just don't want to take your eyes off the views like we even stopped in the car and just like wow did you stop at Guinness the Guinness Lakes Lock yeah, the, the, yeah 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 yeah. that's where we stopped today it was like oh my god and then went for a cup of tea in Johnny Fox's pub the highest pub in Ireland no we didn't do that did well, you not we, go we there? Need to, obviously we need to come back next year and do that then absolutely <laughs> or well at least don't stop on race day for a cup of tea no well, no if I do there's something going wrong <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's absolutely stunning, and it's just one of those courses that you just want to get grit your teeth and get into. Um, Are you excited to race on Sunday? Oh, I'm really excited. Yeah, really excited. And it's definitely like because I was looking at say kind of your staff's average times, what I've done there, and then looking at what the other females did last year. It looks like literally a half an hour, twenty minutes, half an hour longer than you'd usually on be on the bike, which is a long time. Like that's you got like a, you've, I'm gonna have to add some more nutrition to my bike nutrition plan for sure more than just a flapjack yeah more than flapjack and some fluid (laughs) and Nikki do you get nervous uh, before race day yeah people don't think I do because I'm usually you're quite bubbly bubbly and and happy and and laughing lively the giggles we had before we even started the recording were hilarious I think Joe needs to put what we did (laughs) I just spoke very loudly into the mic but I don't need to do that because I'm loud anyway For kindred spirits. Yeah, I think I'd have blown everyone's eardrums off. They, imagine them jogging along and they just heard that. Rah! I think you just did it again. <laughs> anyway, back to the pre-race yeah. nerves, Nikki. Bring yeah, it so back, do. bring it back. I do get nervous and excited, but as soon as that gun goes, like, it's just all, game like, on. game one. Yeah, really, really excited. You just, you just want to go out there and just see what you can do and just see how far you can push yourself um, and just test all the... Because that's what I love about training. This is what we do it for, is the racing and the enjoyment of the racing. Um... And just, yeah, just meeting loads of new people. And I've had loads of messages of kind of local people here who I haven't ever spoken to or haven't necessarily, they've not necessarily followed me so far and just talking to them and just all excited. And there's a lot of local athletes doing this race. Um, and everyone's like, yeah, that bike course. I'm like, I know, I've seen it. <laughs> well, that's why you're here really, isn't it? That's why because I'm here, because you like the bike course. Yeah. Yeah. It was um, the Passion Fit lot, like straight away, like, because uh, I think I was down to do this one last year. I can't remember why I didn't. Oh, because I was injured. <laughs> um, and they were like, oh, you missed out on that one because that one would have suited you. Um, so it's always been in the back of my mind that I need to go and do that race. In terms of your support crew, yeah. between your coach, Rob, yeah. and Bex, you know, how important is their influence in your life? Oh, massively. Like, Rob, who's my coach, he, like, not only instills the programme, but the confidence, the bike, bike kind of, like, set up, like, absolutely everything. Um, there's a lot more than just a program um and then beck sees me on a day-to-day basis so i'm also a para guide so i train with the para squad um so i do their swim sessions and then if any of my sessions which rob set me suits i'll do the bike and run sessions with them um so beck sees me on an individual day 
day basis on the swim and um, so progresses my swim but Rob solely writes my program but some days Bex will be like oh you're looking like crap <laughs> and then I'd go back to Rob and be like nah sometimes you're meant to be looking like that or sometimes we'll peel back so it's good that she can see me what I'm like on day-to-day -day basis. Um, and would you monitor monitor your heart rate in the morning when you wake up to see are you fatigued or would it literally just be you know your body so well at this stage that you just know, do you know what, that isn't going to happen. I'm not getting up at half four to go for a half five swim. <laughs> yeah, no, to be honest, like I'm one of those people that probably be like, Nick, stop being silly, you need a day off or something. Um, so I'm more someone that someone needs to say, pull back on love. So I know if I'm waking up, I'm like, I'm too tired. That's definitely, I'm like about to tip over the edge. Um, so yeah so but to be honest Rob just seems to to know in his programming like there's days where I'll be like oh I won't need that rest day there or I won't need that afternoon off there and I come to that day and I'm like I could not possibly train in that afternoon there <laughs> so yeah he just writes it the program so well and just knows me really well now because we've been working together actually this is a funny story so Dublin when I did this race in 2015 I did it when it was Dublin do you know what I think it was the first year it was actually I'm on Dublin 70.3 and I did this race and uh, Bex and I had actually split up for six months she might kill me now and put this on the podcast is this another one of your stories that you should have told me <laughs> yeah. beforehand and already telling me that yeah so I'm just like introducing it on the podcast you know everyone can listen to this so we'd broken up for like six months and um I'd had this down this is my first pro year um and I had this race down and I was like oh, I'm not going to do it and but we were slowly getting back together so she was like, I reckon we should just go to Dublin to do it. And I was like, really? Like, I'm just not fit to do this race. And I'd seen Susie and Rob at staff, seen Susie and Rob at this one. And Rob was like, there's something going wrong with your bike. It's just so far behind. And I was, I was like 10, 15, 20 minutes behind. And I was like, pretty much coming off the bike last in most races. And he was like, you shouldn't be coming off the bike last with your, with your own background. So he got in touch and was keen to meet up and have a chat, see if I had a coach. I didn't have a coach at that time and just keen to see what I was up to and doing and that's when we started and so it's funny actually now I've thrown it right back to this race what four years later <laughs> and in the meantime you and Bex have gotten engaged but yeah, you haven't so gotten yeah. married yet no. four <laughs> years you're engaged and you'd like I think I, I think I said to you at the time that you should just go to Kona and just get married, and get married in Kona I know it's just ridiculous like the sport is insane and then like everything like so let's say this year like should we save up for this year and then we ended up buying a house then it's like well god now we're like massively but I can't afford it now but like, what about next year and it's like well it's actually Tokyo Paralympic year so that really would be too much um, so we're thinking maybe the year after that, 2021, which will be like six years engaged or something stupid. But you're going to Kona this year, so you could yeah. technically both bring white dresses and get married. We could, I know, there'd be no one there to see it. You'd, well, have, the to You'd have to come out and show to me. I, I could like officiate at the wedding. Yeah. There you go, you want a job in Kona. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to go and go Billy Moe mates and get married. <laughs> it could be eloping. It yeah. could be eloping. Anyway, we'll we'll bring it back to uh, to normal talk. Maybe by the time we come back on the podcast, we'll actually be married. The second time, the yeah, next podcast the next interview, podcast. because um, I want to. We keep referring to the para activities that you're yeah. doing. So just to explain to people what you're doing with the para and how that's kind of gone a little bit off track at the moment, because yeah. I know in staffs as well, you were when we were meant to meet in Staffordshire, you sent me on your whole schedule, and there was so much para stuff, but it's yeah. kind of unfortunately, uh, been pushed to one side for the moment. Yeah, so I've started Paraguiders in uh, in December this year. Um, and a guide for Alison Peasegood, who came second at Rio. Um, and we've been getting on amazingly. Our partnership's been going really well. Um, we had our first race in Milan in April. Um, and we, <laughs> it's funny because actually it's only been our own, now we're looking back, it's been our only proper race. And we both went into it like, really fatigued like just it was a training race before all of her major races started so the pimp paralympic qualification process started this year in june and it was running through and it's run throughs right to i think next june um and actually unfortunately after milan Alison got a series of illnesses it started with a virus whilst we were out in lanzarote um and then that developed into shingles so she had those two months off um and then she was starting to feel a bit more normal, but hadn't trained, um, but her heart rate was significantly high. But as a team, we decided to do Montreal because it's the first Paralympic qualification race, but she was strictly to only go easy. So really easy on the swim. And then I would just do whatever I could on the bike. Um, she was cheering me on. <laughs> <laughs> like, go on, Nicky. 
a bit like we were cornering well together, but um, essentially I was just like doing what I could on the bike, and then she just had to go really easy on the run. Um, so we managed to come second in that. So there's a lot of lot of um, excitement to come when she she's well again. But after that, she she got information around the heart, um, so then got signed off completely. So four months, the poor girl's been out for, and um, just got signed off a week and a half ago by the doctor to say she's medically well, but she's obviously extremely unfit and um, and yeah, she's probably had a little confidence knocked a bit, but she's been in such good spirits, like just focusing on the biggest picture, focusing on what she can do. Um, so she's been doing a few run drills and getting strong in the gym. Um, so she's medically allowed to race, um, but she's unfit and needs to spend the next two to three months really monitoring the heart rate. So she has to go at really, really strict heart rate zones. So, but Lausanne, the World Champs, which is next weekend, is a really hilly bike course. It's going to be a, a true test of trying to to get her to go easy. So you're going to Lausanne as well. So we're going to Lausanne. Um, unfortunately, part of the process of Olympic uh, Paralympic qualification, that if you're starting to miss these races, you just are going to really struggle to qualify for next year. Um, so we're going as a kind of kind of get around race really, um, and also like with the parasite, you've, you've got your ranking points, and if you start to miss races and your ranking points drop below eighth or ninth, you're not even getting starts. So if her ranking drops below to ninth, then when she's back fit and well, we won't even get starts. So you won't even get to be yeah. able to check to see could you qualify yeah. for. Yeah, so, so yeah, the system's making... But that's the system, I guess, in the ITU system, like the Tokyo Test event being most people's major races this year. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately, we missed Miyazaki and Tokyo. Um, I guess the reason I didn't do staffs was because I wanted to go on Florida heat camp prepared for us and, and also Montreal, but unfortunately, she just couldn't do that. And then um, I had the mid-season break to get ready for Miyazaki and peak in Tokyo but unfortunately she couldn't do it but um yeah ready and raring to go for next year and just focus on what she can do and kind of we're already planning winter um kind of some preparations for next year so we've got so we're looking ahead to the bigger picture rather than just focusing on what we can't do at the moment um so when you when you look at it you kind of you think back to 2012 and your coach yeah. took you aside or sorry 2011 and your coach took you aside and said you know you're getting injured you're going yeah. on the olympic cycle and then you look at the journey that you've taken and potentially could still get to the olympics albeit eight years later in a completely different format, sport yeah. and a completely different format yeah it's it's incredible yeah yeah i'd like to be absolutely honored to stand that start line with allison and and uh we have i think a really good opportunity next year um so yeah we're really looking forward to it and yeah just she's doing everything she can to be patient because Obviously, if you've been off for four months, I'm guessing not many people would react very well to that. Um, but you've kind of been there yourself as well with your own injury in the sense yeah. that you were off as well. So you can kind of relate to what she's I going can, through. There's a little I, bit of... At the same time, though, the, the thing I could, I could still do something. something. Yeah. But with Alison, she literally couldn't do anything. Like uh, There was points where she wasn't even allowed to do S&C um, and get out of bed. So you can imagine if, if you're seeing everyone else peak fitness in the squads um kind of you're watching the races that you need to be at in peak form go by it would be really difficult but um yeah she's done a brilliant job and it's absolutely kudos to the british triathlon team for 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 keeping her headstrong through this time and supporting her in the best way possible the right medical team psychology um from the coaches to to everyone part of her journey and um, support her really well. So you're talking about everybody supporting Alison, but yeah. who has been your biggest influence in sport to date? Oh my god, wow. That's a question, Bombshell. Influence in sport? What to Like who's who's been the biggest influence on your success, I suppose, or not so much inspired you, but who's whose support has continued to, I suppose, influence your success and your passion for triathlon and like help you get to where you are now it's, it's a hard one because like i look at probably who supported me the best and obviously it's my parents um and they've kind of always allowed me to just go and try new things out they've never had kind of like to be honest like <laughs> with all like the gcse and a level results i'd bite my tail like, i probably should put something up but like i'd love to put something up and say like and in, in my gcs like gcse's i struggled so much i think i only got like four <laughs> <laughs> I was terrible like I was terrible at school but I just loved sport but my parents wouldn't ever push me and be like god you're 
dumb as hell or whatever because you're not getting the grades but they just always supported me um like my mum would always have food on the table to prepare me for my training session which my dad would take me to and it was never in the the thought process that I wanted to be an elite athlete god no I was so average at athletics like I'd just go for the social really um and like the reason I dropped down from 800s to 400s because I was just too lazy to even do the 800 training (laughs) and I'd often still be hung over from the night before because I was the biggest drinker ever um but they always just supported me and allowed me to kind of like follow a path and just drop into paths. Like I can remember, I remember went to uni and I was like, oh dad, I've gone to like the expo day or whatever it's called for a uni and there's all these sports I want to try out. And I picked up loads of leaflets and I can remember I said the first one was rowing. He goes, oh Nikki, you know, rowing's a really expensive sport. Like we're not, we, we don't really have any money. Like, and I was like, I'm not even, and I can remember I had a Frisbee one. He's like, you should go and do Frisbee. <laughs> I can buy you a Frisbee, but I can't help you at all with your rowing. And I was like, oh, I've taken up that rowing. And then when I got into rowing, then I was like, I'm going to do triathlon. Like, two of the most expensive sports ever. Um, but they've always emotionally supported me. Like, financially, absolutely never could support me in, that, in those terms. But um, we we had the best bring, upbringing as kids with nothing. Um, so it shows that you don't need money to, to be successful. And, and behind the scenes, I don't really talk about it on social or anything, but it's been, like, that's a massive struggle side, I guess, to especially being a professional athlete. Jesus, like... Like, so with people helping you out with, um, with like, um, your sponsors and, and kind of like when people put you up in accommodation or you get homestays, like it's the biggest help ever because like you could not do it without that support network and that team around you. Um, yeah, like if you think like you go to a race, um, and by the time the race, uh, prize money's broken down and taxed and it gets into your bank I think when it finally got to the bank in Lanzarote I was like Jesus like you could not live off that for even a month like it's not even a month's rent um so like you need to have a good support network around you um and having Bex alongside the whole of this journey has been incredible and obviously we're on the journey now together and we've always supported each other's journeys like Obviously, she's been away for the last three weeks in Miyazaki and then Tokyo. Um, and then it's come back in jet lag to come back out. And we actually probably she probably won't do this next time, but we drove over and then got the ferry, which was a long journey. But it's fun, isn't it? So, yeah. It's an adventure. It's an adventure, exactly. Like, got to see Dublin last night. Didn't think we'd see Dublin and, and had never been to Dublin city centre before. And, and, like, she's. And then after this, we go straight to Lausanne for the World Champs. And then she stays out from there. And then, and then I'm racing the next weekend after in Gerald Mare for the 70.3. And then she goes straight from there to Europeans. So, essentially, she's been away for seven weeks. So, it's, it's a tough job. And, and we support each other because that, like, the commitment she has on her side is massive. Um, and so I need to be supportive of her journey as well. And I suppose the other side of all of this as well, Nikki, is that, you know, you talk about not doing well in your GCA, GCSEs in <laughs> school. I suppose it's very different. In Ireland, we have our junior certain or leaving certain. I suppose it probably gives people hope that if their son or daughter isn't yeah. doing well in school, but that sport oper- offers an opportunity oh, yeah. for them to excel in an area where they're very passionate about as well and can succeed in it. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, well, actually, yeah, there's grades and stuff, but there's actually a lot of other things in life to learn around, like actually how you are as a person and kind of your nature as a perf- person in the world. And um, that's sometimes stuff that you don't get taught at school. And, and I kind of, my area was sport and like me sitting down in the classroom is like... I'd say you were the biggest <laughs> joker in the class, yeah. sitting down the I, back, distracting everybody yeah. else. I just was so bad at it, but it's something I had to do like all day. And I was like, and then by the time I got out to PE lessons, I was like, wow, <laughs> and then like obviously like training sessions or whatever, and that's just where my passion was. It was never sat in the classroom, but it's whatever your passion is. Like my brother's an accountant and sits down all day. Like he loves to do that. But for me, oh my God. Firstly, I wouldn't have a clue what I'm doing. And secondly, we'd be able to sit down all day, every day. And I suppose if we, if we turn it on its head again and say, if you weren't a professional athlete, yeah. what do you think you would be now? If if you hadn't taken up triathlon back... Well, I went into going into teaching. So okay. when um, so I did the Girls' Squad initiative in 2008. Um, it's the same time I got my PGC and it was in Birmingham Uni, which was massive just to get in because you only I think there was only like 10 to 15 spaces as PGCA so I was set on a journey to become a PE teacher and I'd done the girls for gold but I hadn't heard anything back 
just started my PGC and then they rang me and they were like, I think I missed an email or something. And they're like, have you not received our email? Like, which sport are you choosing? I was like, what? What do you mean the sport? They were like, well, you got um, good enough cycling and rowing. And I was like, wow, like, I never really cycled. And like, yeah, I didn't have a bike then. So I was like, well, I'm not going to go into cycling. I can't really cycle properly. <laughs> so I'll go into rowing because I had been doing that at uni. So I stopped my PGC then. Um, and that was a big jump. I was like, do I carry on? I've been four months into this PGCE on a journey to to financially support myself and kind of my degrees, progression to PGCE, progression to work. Um, so, and I can remember talking to my parents and my family. They were so supportive. They're like, well, whatever you do, we'll support you. And I was like, God, this is a massive jump. I'm going into a sport unknown. There's no direct salary straight away. You have to sort, sort yourself out, get into the team before there's a salary. Um, so yeah, that was a massive jump. And yeah, had I not taken that jump, I wouldn't be sat here talking to you today. No way, I'd be definitely delivering PE teaching sessions and trying to encourage the next generation. <laughs> definitely would have been sport anyway, I think. Oh, 100%, definitely a sport, not set in the classroom. And talking about sport and talking about school, you know, we look at the increase in the number of females that are taking yeah. up triathlon yeah. here in Dunleary this weekend. We've 20% of the field are female, which wow, is fantastic. That's amazing. And obviously we have that Women for Try um, program that we, the Ironman Foundation, are promoting as well. But on a practical level, on a ground level, yeah. um, a grassroots level, you know, what can we be doing? What can you be doing as a pro athlete? What can athletes in general be doing to encourage more girls into the sport of triathlon and to keep yeah. them in it? Yeah, well, I think the the thing we need to to promote more is is that actually you don't need to go into long distance, especially you, you don't have to go to seventy point three and Ironman just because that's what you see is the big supposedly the big thing everyone does. There's so many local triathlons, like short distance ones, because for females. I don't know, males, there might be time commitments, which is the tough, tough barrier. And, and they might have time to train for an Ironman. You know, you've got kids, family, work, like your window of opportunity is quite small. And it's actually like, what can you do? Um, and just get into that local triathlon club um, and meet new people there. And I promise you, like, you'll find a, a way of competing which will suit you and your lifestyle. Uh, it might be a super sprint, it might be a sprint, um, it might progress on but it's just start somewhere and I promise you as soon as you sign up you're like literally when I started triathlon I never looked back like there was never I couldn't have actually it was about it's about a year and a half ago Bex was like have you ever been on a rowing machine since and I was like no like literally since I started triathlon I never look back because it's just so addictive like you just want to create a new goal once you've reached a goal and and create small new goals along the way um and the people you meet in the community is just like my biggest area i love like i love meeting new people and talking to people like on social media i 100 percent reply to everyone like and i'll talk back to them and, and wish them luck if they're racing and the community is absolutely fantastic and the people you meet are like literally friends for life um and yeah if you're like a single female i bet you you'll meet your other half as well there at the triathlon club <laughs> or maybe if you're a single a female. female or male yeah obviously because that's why I met Bex um, so yeah uh, so I bet you as soon as you sign up you'll just love it and you won't turn back and there'll be 100% races and it might not it might not be um, a triathlon to start with it might just be like okay I'll start on some local swim races or whatever and then work your way up um, so yeah like definitely just encourage people and having role models and the more I guess professional females who can help along that journey and allow people to see that you've come from a beginner too. Like I literally started the sport as a complete and utter chopper novice. Like I had no idea what I was doing. Actually I did duathlon, sorry, before that 2010. Um, and I can remember someone said in transition to me and my friend, like your tires are so low. And we're like, I don't have a pump. And then he pumped our tires and we on 20 or 40 PSI. Like literally had no idea. And I can remember I got off the bike as well, off, off the bike and went into my second run. And I, was, I didn't have another pair of shoes in transition, I had the same ones, but I, didn't, I had laces in. So, like, and my laces were done up. And so I was, like, undoing my laces and everything. And my dad was like, Nikki, hurry up. Like, what are you doing? And I was like, I can't get my feet because my shoes. And I ended up doing the next 5K with my shoes undone. <laughs> shoes back. So I didn't even know that there was, like, locked laces. So, like, you really do think probably is when you start as a novice that, you're, that there won't be anyone worse than you or or whatever, like, you'll be the slowest, but it's just, I promise you, it's not the truth. Like, you go to your club and there's always people, like, I, I race, uh, train sometimes with Race Hub, 
when we go to swims and there's like we're going off say 90 second turnarounds in the fast lane but the slowest lane's going off like three or two and a half minute 100 meter cycles um so like the range of abilities is so big so it's not elitist at all like some people think oh it's just you're you're fine you're a pro but it's not at all like i promise you like there's so many different ranges of abilities and you'll always find someone of your own, own ability I think that's very, very sound advice and definitely the club culture as well. And a yeah. lot of the tri clubs uh, is brilliant. And it's the social aspect as well, of oh, course, because yeah, the post the post cycling coffee or the coffee cake yeah. stop or the the uh, we have a breakfast club in Galway tri club Amazing. where we meet for breakfast on a Wednesday. Well, and we they, have one on the Thursday. Yeah, so they train. <laughs> I just work and go for breakfast and then my train in the afternoon. But Nikki, I just want to say a huge thank you for joining me here this evening. We've kept you for about an hour uh, for tonight's podcast um, <laughs> an hour of talking and laughing this is probably the funniest podcast we'll have done um, I want to wish you the very best of luck for Sunday I Thanks do so hope much. to uh, call you down the finish line in first place but most, <laughs> more importantly I think best of luck for that journey to Kona and Thanks. I'm sure we'll have you back on the podcast before Tokyo 2020 I hope so thanks very much for having me Thanks, everybody, for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, please take 30 seconds to give us a review on Apple Podcasts and on the Facebook page, Try Talking Sport. For more information and to check out our previous episodes, log on to www.trytalkingsport.com. You can also subscribe for free across all podcast platforms. Until next time.